Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Mark chapter 13, beginning at the first verse. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, what will these, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those days of distress, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Well, as we stand, let me pray for us 
we've been singing, indeed praying, Heavenly Father, that uh, the Lord Jesus would return. We pray that we would uh, indeed be looking forward to that day as we look around at this tottering world. And we pray that we'd be encouraged to keep going until that day as we look at your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do sit. Well, let me encourage you to turn back in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Over the next uh, four weeks, we'll be looking at a couple of uh, parts of 13 and into 14 as well. And um, as you do that, page 1019 is the page number. Let me wish you a happy new year. Uh, We've been uh, saying it to each other for the last uh, 10 days. And I guess it's what we hope for ourselves and and wish for one another. Uh, But um, I don't know how you feel about the new year, but as I look at the news headlines, it doesn't fill me with optimism that it's going to be a very happy new year. This week I read online that as the new year begins, millions of British families will struggle to pay their mortgage or their rent when the credit card bill arrives. Apparently more than 5.5 billion Britons expect to fall behind with finance payments as a result of Christmas spending or overspending. Uh, Also in the news is uh, Jeremy Hunt and the dispute over junior doctors' pay and working conditions. I guess there's a lot of people who are very interested in that here. Uh, One newspaper reported this week that the pressures on the NHS will only increase in 2016. And it's not just primary care that faces an uphill struggle in this coming year. NHS trusts in England face a record deficit of £1.6 billion. And of course, we can't listen to a news bulletin without hearing something of the global threat of terrorism, with the so-called Islamic State releasing that latest barbaric video. Major cities across the world are on permanent heightened alert. We've seen incidences again this week in Paris, in Philadelphia, and in the Red Sea resort of Hugada. Nowhere feels safe. And yet safety and security is a basic human longing. It's one of the things we want for ourselves and our loved ones as as we wish them Happy New Year. We want to go to bed at night knowing that we'll wake up in the morning with a a roof over our heads, food on the table, a job to go to and a secure and and healthy future for our family. But the news headlines say health and wealth and stealth are a huge concern for us. We feel the squeeze financially, we hear that the NHS is wobbling, and we're constantly reminded that a great unseen enemy could strike at any time. So it is hard to face the future with any sense of confident optimism. Nothing feels very safe. Happy New Year. Now that sense of insecurity is here at the beginning of Mark chapter 13. Look at verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Now, the temple in Jerusalem was one of the great structures of the ancient world. It was huge. It it dwarfed any other building in Jerusalem at the time. More than that, it was the throbbing centre of the city and the very heart of the life throughout Judaism. What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. If you've um, ever visited the, uh, the pyramids of Egypt or the Colosseum in Rome and have stood up close to those great buildings of antiquity, then you'll know how the disciples felt as they looked at the temple in Jerusalem. That ancient building towering above them felt so solid and so secure 
The buildings themselves gave this sort of sense of permanence and safety. So what a shock when Jesus replied as he did in verse 2. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Every one. In the summer of 1990, I spent seven weeks in New York City. I was working amongst the homeless uh, in the Big Apple. While I was there, I had chance to visit all the New York, all New York's uh, major landmarks. I was there for seven weeks. And one of the places I went to see was uh, the World Trade Center, the, the Twin Towers. I have photos at home as I stood at the bottom of those huge buildings and looked up. They seemed to keep going up forever. What magnificent buildings! I'd never seen anything like it. If someone had wandered up to me at the time and said, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. If someone had said that back to me back in 1990, I'd have questioned them. And had I bothered to give it a second thought, I might have possibly imagined that in hundreds of years' time, the buildings would crumble or be replaced by something better. But as we all know so well, it was only 11 years later that those great buildings were raised to the ground. As I stood there in 1990, as I stood at the bottom of those two skyscrapers, I'd have never believed that that could happen. I imagine Jesus' disciples felt the same about the temple as Jesus said these words in verse 2. And so they asked him about it. Well, four of them did, and we see that in verse 3. And by the time we read verse 3, Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives. Now, it's taken some time to get from the temple to the Mount of Olives. It's a beautiful spot in Jerusalem. I was there seven or eight years ago. Now it's a throbbing tourist site. But back in Jesus' day, the Mount of Olives was a peaceful place. And back then, as today, it is a terrific vantage point where you can look over the whole city. And as Jesus sat there with his disciples, the, the temple at the heart of the city would have dominated the skyline. So Jesus has just said these remarkable words in verse 2. They've wandered over to the Mount of Olives. It's taken them some time. And I imagine the disciples are just turning this over in their minds. And then verse 3, as Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? When will the temple be leveled to the ground? What, what are going to be the events that lead up to that momentous moment? That's what these four disciples asked Jesus. And I imagine their questions came with a modicum of scepticism. The temple seems so permanent. Not just a structure, but it was so very important in the life of the whole nation. The temple was at the centre of Judaism itself. So I imagine these guys could barely believe it. They barely believed it could ever completely be destroyed. Now before we go any further, let's stop here for a moment and realise the importance of the temple. And just why Jesus' words were so shocking. See, we've got to grasp that these words were more shocking to the disciples than if somebody had said to me in 1990 that the Twin Towers were going to fall. That the temple was the place through which Jews could meet God. God is met through sacrifice for sin. The temple was the only place where God allowed sacrifice to be made as listed in, in the Old Testament. 
And here's the crucial thing for us to hold in mind then. If there is no sacrifice for sins, there is no possibility of having a relationship with God. No temple, no access to God. So what Jesus was talking about here was not just the end of a great building, but the end of Judaism as a way of relating to God. The destruction of the temple was a mark of judgment on Israel. And that thought of judgment on Judaism is one of the dominant thoughts in this section of Mark's gospel. See, back in chapter 11, do you remember, Jesus walked into the temple area and he drove out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and those selling doves and he stopped anyone carrying merchandise in the, table, in the temple. The next chapter, chapter 12, Jesus told a parable against the leaders of Judaism. The parable tells how Israel's leaders had repeatedly rejected God's prophets and it predicts that they would next reject and kill God's only son. And the conclusion of the parable, when that happens, when God's son is rejected, chapter 12, verse 9, God will come and kill those tenants and give his vineyard to others. See, in chapters 11 and 12, then, Jesus has been acting and speaking in judgment upon Jerusalem. Judgment would fall. Why? Because they rejected Jesus, God's own son. And the destruction of the temple, as Jesus is speaking about it here in chapter 13, would be the ultimate mark of judgment. It would signal the end of Judaism in any real spiritual sense. With no temple, there would be no way to meet with God because there would be no place for the sacrifice of sins. So no wonder the disciples found this talk of the destruction of the temple so hard to grasp. Not only did the temple look so solid as a a building, as a structure, but Judaism was all they knew. It was everything to them. Their whole way of life was bound up with Judaism with the temple to lose the temple was to lose their heritage their culture their religion their only way of being right with God it would have felt like the end of the world to them it was the the end of everything they knew everything they built their lives on it was indeed to fall under the judgment of God and that is what this whole chapter is about it's about the judgment of God not just upon Judaism but also the final judgment of God upon the whole world. So you look on uh, to chapter 13 and verse 24. In those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. It's very, it's vivid language. Jesus is talking about the end of the world as we know it. Sun darkened, stars falling from the sky. It's a graphic description of a cataclysmic end of everything we know in this universe. But as we read these verses, know that this apocalypse won't happen at at the will of any man. Now this week, um, when it's been reported that North Korea has successfully carried out an underground hydrogen bomb test, don't fear that the end of the world is in the hands of some despotic maniac. No, no, look on to verse 26. At the end of the world, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. The Son of Man, 
a great phrase that Jesus used for himself. Jesus Christ will be in control at the end of the world. God the Father alone will determine the time and circumstances when this world will come under his full and final judgment. This chapter then is all about judgment, a judgment that comes upon all who reject God's Son. While all those all over the world who follow Jesus Christ will, verse 27, be gathered together to be safe forevermore. So in a world that feels unsafe because of threats of global terrorism and global warming, and because the things we so often look to for security are themselves so very insecure, health and wealth, in a crumbling world that is under the judgment of God because it has rejected his son, Jesus urges us to look to him as the only one who can give us the security we so crave. He tells us here to be sure to keep trusting him. In the first half of this chapter, Jesus predicts judgment upon Judaism in the form of the destruction of the temple and he speaks of final judgment upon the whole world later on in the chapter. And before we look more closely at the chapter, two big things to note. Jesus speaks of these two events together, the destruction of the temple and the final judgment. And he, he, he speaks them together because they are linked. The destruction of the temple happens to a nation that rejects God's son and the final judgment will come upon a world that has rejected his son. The destruction of the temple felt like the end of the world for any committed to Judaism. The destruction of the world will be the end of the world. The destruction of the temple comes and the very next big major moment of judgment will be the judgment of the world. They are linked. And second note that Jesus speaks of this judgment to tell us that his, his people, to tell us his people to be ready for it. The great refrain throughout this chapter is watch out, be on your guard, be ready. Um, I won't go through all the verses, but um, I've got a little sermon outline on the back that I forgot to mention to you at the beginning of this, and the verses are on there. Again and again, be ready, verse 5, verse 9, verse 23, while all the verses are listed. So where were we? In verses 3 and 4, Jesus' disciples asked, when will the temple be destroyed? And what will happen in the lead up to that great event? And Jesus replied, firstly, don't be deceived. The dangers of false Christs. Look at verse 5. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. There's always someone claiming to be the Christ, the saviour of the world. And if not someone, something seems to offer itself to us as being the great thing that's going to give us hope. We've experienced it throughout history. Here we see that Jesus expected false Christ to pop up very soon after his death and resurrection and before the destruction of the temple. So Jesus said to his disciples, don't be deceived. Don't look to anyone or anything else to save you, to rescue you. Don't look to anything else as the thing that's going to give you that security that you crave. It's not going to give it to you. No one, no thing can do that. He said to his disciples, don't be deceived by cataclysmic world events, verse seven. 
When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Now, someone very dear to me, someone who's not around anymore, whenever she heard uh, or saw headlines of, of the world in turmoil, at wars, earthquakes, the kind of things listed here, Whenever those things happen, she'd say, I think the Lord is going to return soon. Now, for sure, when we see terrible cataclysmic events, it reminds of of just how fragile this tottering world is. These kind of events say that we live in a world that is out of sync with its maker. But Jesus said, don't be deceived when these things happen. When you hear of these things, don't presume they are a sign of the end, not in the sense that it's about to happen, It's just the beginning of the end. So don't be deceived, the danger of false Christ. Secondly, be on your guard, the danger of persecution. See that in verses 9 to 13. In those verses, 9 to 13, and they are really harrowing, in those verses, Jesus warned his disciples that it would be very dangerous to follow him. I don't think we know how how fortunate we are. But you see, as we read the Acts of the Apostles, we read exactly these things happening to Jesus' followers. As they took the gospel to the ends of the earth, to all nations, so verse 9, they were handed over to councils. Read Acts 4 and you'll see that happening. Verse 9, they were flogged, Acts chapter 5. Verse 9, they had to stand before governors and kings, Acts chapter 23, 24 and 26. But when those things happened, so end of verse 11, they knew exactly what to say. The Holy Spirit gave them the words to say and spoke through them. Don't be deceived, the danger of false Christ. Be on your guard, the danger of persecution. And thirdly, flee to the mountains, the abomination that causes desolation, verses 14 to 19. Much has been written about what Jesus Means what, what, what is called in verse 14, the abomination that causes desolation. I can't for one minute suggest that I understand all the different options. But it seems to me that the immediate context, this expectation that the temple was going to be leveled, and the geography mentioned here, if you look at verse 14, for example, it's very specific about Judea. So the immediate context and the geography suggests to me that in the first instance, the abomination that causes desolation is the destruction of the temple. And these words, if that is right, were fulfilled just um, 70 years later after Jesus, well, less than that, after Jesus said these words. In AD 70, under the emperor Titus, the Roman army besieged and conquered Jerusalem. Josephus, a Roman historian, records the awful details of that event. Josephus wrote of the terrible shortage of food as a result of Jerusalem being put under siege. This week we've seen the appalling images of of people starving because they are under siege in the Syrian town of Medea. The same happened in Jerusalem in AD 70, well just before AD 70, before the fall. Josephus also recorded the massacre that took place when Jerusalem's walls were breached. And he also tells of how the temple was set ablaze. Before that all happened in AD 67, zealots took control of the temple and for a laugh they consecrated their own high priest. 
You see, knowing how important the temple was in the life of Judaism, that was an act of abomination that caused desolation. When the temple was destroyed in AD 70, it was the most catastrophic catastrophic event in Israel's history. And here's the most striking thing for me. The temple has never been rebuilt. It was the end of Judaism. To this day, any serious-minded Jew should have a problem with their own religion. Their own scriptures insist that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of a blood sacrifice. But there are no sacrifices made in Judaism today because there is no temple and hasn't been since AD 70. So Judaism can offer no way of knowing God by its own standards. What does all this mean for us? It's so much more than a history lesson. Now, two big things. Firstly, Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the temple. The reason the temple is no longer needed is because Jesus was the one perfect sacrifice. Isn't it striking that after that one sacrifice was made, no more sacrifices are needed? The temple's gone. We can come to God through not the temple in Jerusalem, not sacrifices made in Jerusalem, but through Jesus. And so as the parable in chapter 12 said, because the leaders of Judaism rejected God's own son, the vineyard has been taken from them and given to others, to Gentiles, to the church. Jesus is the temple. Secondly, Jesus is trustworthy. He's trustworthy in two ways. He's trustworthy in the sense that he told us that this was going to happen to the temple and it came true. So we can be sure that what he's told us about final judgment, the end of the world, will come true as well. And we'll look more at this next week. But for now, you see, Jesus' first disciples couldn't comprehend life without the temple. They couldn't believe that Judaism would come to an end. It was everything they knew. It was all they knew. But Jesus' words did come true. And aren't you and I just like the the disciples? When we speak of the end of the world... And verse 24, the sun darkened and the stars falling from the sky. Aren't you like me? Is that really going to happen? It's all I know. Could it all come to an end? This is our world. Here's the thing. If in this chapter Jesus announced two dates for our diary, if I can put it that way, and then we see he was first right about the first one, the temple being destroyed and never being rebuilt, So we can be sure that he's right about the second one. And judgment coming upon the whole whole world and him returning in glory as we've been singing and rejoicing in. So this actually gives us great confidence. That happened in AD 70. Then I can be sure that the other thing, he big thing he mentions in this chapter is going to happen as well. And once I'm sure of that, then I'm going to listen to the big thrust of this chapter, which is then be ready for it. Get ready. That's the constant refrain throughout this chapter. And the way to be ready, well, again, we need to know that Jesus is trustworthy in this sense. The way to be ready is to be sure to turn to Christ. I can trust him 
Not just because what he said happened, but I can trust him with my life. I can trust him completely. He is worthy of me putting my trust in him. Why? Well, this is all about judgment. And of course, he has taken the judgment of God upon himself. When he died on the cross, something of the final judgment was seen. Uh, Verse 24, the sun was darkened on that day as he died on the cross. Do you remember? And in one way, we could say that Jesus' death was the greatest abomination in history. As mankind killed the Son of God. So in short, Jesus has taken the judgment of God upon himself. And so as we put our trust in him, we are safe. He's taken judgment. I don't have to fear judgment anymore. So at the beginning of this new year, this says, be sure that you have turned to Christ. And again, let me say, if you're not sure of that, come along to Christianity Explored. Let's explore that together. There's nothing more important. The whole world's going to come to an end one day. Are you ready for it? Come and find out. And for those of us who have done that, this says be sure to keep going with Jesus Christ. There's going to be many deceptions. There's going to be much persecution. There's going to be all sorts of things coming our way. Stand firm. Don't be deceived when other people come along and say, oh, look, you could follow this or that. This will give you what you need. It's not the case. It's not going to deliver. Keep standing firm even when it's hard because it's those who keep going to the end who will be saved, as it says here. Well, as we look into this new year then, wishing one another a happy new year, For sure, a look at the world around us doesn't give us much reason for optimism. doesn't me anyway. The world really doesn't offer us security. If we turn to wealth, which is I think probably the thing we generally turn to, well many won't even have enough to pay the bills this January, let alone a nest egg for the future. If we think of our health, we see a crumbling NHS And when we think of the threat of stealth, of terrorists potentially creeping up on us anywhere, everywhere, it all sounds very bleak indeed. But you know, these uncertainties actually, if I can put it this way, can do us a favour. We can use them to our advantage. Because money can never ultimately save us. We can't buy our way out of every situation. And the NHS, even if it wasn't tottering financially, NHS and medicine can't save us, not ultimately. And the threat of terrorism is just a wake-up call, really, to a constant threat that hangs over all of us. If it's not terrorism, something's going to get us in the end. So all of this should throw us upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is trustworthy, the one we can trust because he knows the future and the one that we can trust because he is the temple because he's made a sacrifice because he can make us right with God and therefore we can have total security when we think about a final judgment to come let's pray together
Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Jesus said, you must be on your guard. Later on, he says, be on your guard, be alert. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that the Lord Jesus has made it very plain to us what's going to happen in the future. We thank you that we can trust his words because what he said about the past has come true and so we can know that what he says about the future will come true as well. And so we ask you to give us the, the wherewithal, the, uh, the, the clarity of thought to be those who listen to his warning to be on our guard, to keep watch, to be alert. And may it be as we see this world in all its struggles that it would be the Lord Jesus and him alone whom we look to and we keep alert over those things that we may be ready for the judgment whenever it comes. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.